There's going to be a boss guy coming up here at some point, but I don't know when, I don't know where he is. So I'll get started. Welcome to Southfield. We are so glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, we have a big day, big day ahead of us, but I want to start by looking back at the last week. This last Sunday was incredible. We got to have a whole bunch of our Southfield family get baptized, both at the river and here uh, at Southfield, and that party continues today and probably the week after that, and probably the week after that. Uh, we have some people who weren't able to be here last week uh, who are going to get the chance to get baptized this afternoon at 1145. Um, and there's no excuse to not show up. As I said to the first service people, the Bears play the Rams tonight. So there's no excuse to run home and turn on the TV, come with us to watch these, these people get baptized at the river after church today, um, and then watch the Bears beat the Rams later on tonight. All right? Good deal. So, so is that all you've covered? We started talking about the last week. I, so I, st I started talking last week. Okay. I started last Sunday. And then there's like stuff in between last Sunday and this Sunday that happened that was like kind of nuts, right? Nuts. Nuts. Totally crazy. Yeah. So if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, you need to take a little wander after church out to the fort area because when that wind came through, it took down like half of an oak tree on us. And I, and I love the way the way it fell. The, the, the fort was relatively untouched. I think yeah. it's got one, one board bonk, but a tree that size to fall, there's another hackberry out there that just got snapped and crazy, crazy yeah. what that wind did. Yeah, unbelievable. I was at the school, and they like pulled all the teachers to the locker room, and of course, I'm the only idiot that's like, I want to see what's happening. I don't want to be high. <laughs> so I'm like out looking out one of the windows, and I'm watching trees just get uprooted and yeah. literally fly across the road, and well, went to your house after, and I saw all the, the crazy destruction that happened down by the canal. I mean, just yeah. a, lot of, a lot of wild stuff happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so much, yeah, in Rick, fact. Rick and Dora's neighborhood was crazy. Yeah, that, there the was so much there. damage, in fact, that two of the buildings, I guess, in our district didn't have power on Wednesday. Okay. So they said, well, we can't do school without power because it's the 21st century. Uh, so they canceled school, and uh, when we came back on Thursday... It was crazy because I'm asking, you know, I do a daily check-in, which is usually a goofy question, but my, my check-in on Thursday was, how's everybody? How's the houses? Is everybody okay? Like, and every, it felt like every hand shot up, like, I've got a story, I've got a story. And everyone was like, yeah, this huge tree that's been there forever, like it fell down and, and there was a trampoline that blew into our yard and now we have this brand new trampoline. I'm like, no, you've got to give that back. That's not your trampoline. But yeah, so it was, it was a lot of, the seventh grade perspective on life after storms is hilarious. Well, if they're looking for one, between uh, Hansel and Six on, on Ridge, there's one out in the field. Yeah, you just got to walk through waiting to be claimed. Yeah. It's quite bent, yeah. but anyway. Adjustable. Oh, my word. Well, every, every weekend, uh, generally, you, you get a, an email from us. We call it our weekend update. This is our bulletin, so to speak, and, and I love it because it arrives in your email box. You get a chance to, to read really the, the most substantial announcements. It's not, you know, it's not real, real long. We give you three or four things to pay attention to and, um, and the ability to pretty immediately respond to things. So very often there's a link built in. If there's a registration going on, click. I can register right away. You know, go ahead and interact with that. So we always start it with what we call the, the Sunday heart prep. 
gives you the playlist for the weekend so you get a chance to, to listen to the music ahead of time or watch a, a video of it. And then we also give you the scripture reading both written and on the Dwell app so you can go ahead and listen to it. Great way to get your heart ready for Sunday. You may want to do that Saturday night. I love listening to the playlist in case there's a song I don't know. Yeah. So I can actually know what I'm singing and know, like, at least I can hum along, you know, if it's the second time that I'm hearing it up here. Yeah. So yep. it's cool. So you already talked a little bit about we, we have more baptisms today. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, after church, we'll head over to the river as fast as we can. We're aiming at 1145. It'll all depend on how long the preacher preaches. So we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. But outside of that, we're aiming at 1145. And Really, really excited about that today. Yeah, yeah, because again, it's, it's people who um, wanted to have people here that weren't able to be here last week. So again, just continuing that, that spirit this afternoon, it's going to yeah. be really exciting. And, and actually, over the next couple of weeks, there will yeah. be more. So mm -hmm. by the time we're done with September, we're looking at 30 people, 30 people who have been baptized, which is just, it's incredible. What, a, a, lot what of, a great season. A lot of Duncan. Um, the, the, the next announcement was, was about... <laughs> Duncan. <laughs> You and your coffee. Anyway, um, the next one is, we called it Moments That Change Everything. This is a great opportunity for our ladies to get together on a Friday night to hear stories. And, and what I love about this is, this is, was inspired by what you did at Green Lake. Uh, just having, having the leaders tell their stories and the way that the kids were really moved by that. There's, there's a, lot to be, a lot to be learned, a lot of ways to be challenged and grown through another person's story. So they'll be gathering together for, for dinner and then to hear stories and just a beautiful informal night together. Yeah, uh, I know from the Green Lake experience that the front row and the, the rest of our students, I mean, we needed like boxes of Kleenex. Uh, I'm going to suggest if you are one of the ladies joining us that night uh, that you bring a towel. Forget the Kleenex. <laughs> You're just going to need a towel to stop up all those tears because it's going to be a really emotional, moving, really cool uh, cool night. So. so the one thing we're asking you to do on, on that, you know, that for September, there's an early registration fee, mm -hmm. so it's a little cheaper than normal. But, but, but this would be really, really helpful uh, to the people organizing the event. Uh, if you're involved in anything in the world these days that involves ordering, trying to get supplies, that sort of thing, you know it's all stuck on a trap somewhere off of California. And so... Uh, and so um, we, in order to get the supplies that are needed, we need to order early enough. So if you're one of those people that loves to wait until the last minute to register, this is the last minute. Do it right now, okay? <laughs> go ahead and gear your heart yeah. and go ahead and get it done as yeah. quickly as you can so that we're, we make sure that we have everything we need uh, for that particular evening. The final one was about the fact that if, if you are either at work or uh, educational institution being confronted with uh, having to receive the COVID-19 vaccine and, and, and you have religion, religious exception to that, I'm glad to provide you with a religious exception, exemption letter, either one written from me or one that is styled so that you can sign your name to it. So that's available. You just need to go ahead and, and email me and we'll get that to you. So again, baptisms right after church. We will remind you again at the end of the service. Very excited about that. But, but uh, yeah, what a week. Not only the wind... And all that went into that, but of course the commemoration of of 20 years since 9/11, and um, you know I, I think for for everybody that went through it, it, it you, you really get transported right back to the moment. I mean, I, I it was a 
it was a teary few days for me. It was yeah. really tough to hear, to hear people's stories, to hear once again just the, the details of that. It was, it, was, it was moving. It was really moving. And, and you actually, you were teaching this as history yeah. to kids who weren't part of it. Yeah, it's, it's always it's weird for me because I was in sixth grade uh, when the attacks happened. And I remember sitting in Miss Knudsen's language arts class. She was told by... Uh, the secretary, what was happening, and we had no clue, and being clueless sixth graders, we were actually like kind of joking, uh, because again, we had no idea what was truly happening, and we got home from school, I think that's when even my sixth grade brain, like watching my mom and dad watch the news, I was like, oh, this is not, this isn't a joke, um, and I'd, I'll never forget for myself, I was telling my kids, I'll never forget watching President Bush address the nation from the White House after like a, a day full of confusion where they were literally attacking major places. And so for him to be at the White House to say, you know, we've been attacked, but, but don't worry, uh, we're going to stand strong. It was moving to me. But then the last few days teaching, uh, teaching seventh and eighth graders who weren't alive when it all happened, walking through the, the events. So we walked through the timeline one day. We walked through uh, what is terrorism? Why do people choose to take those actions? Then how do we learn from that? How do we take a heavy day like that and learn lessons and move forward and grow and get better and unite and all these things? And let me tell you, it was an exhausting, an emotionally exhausting week as I'm sitting here trying to teach while you know the frogs are hopping up in my throat and, and just hearing all the different stories. Like you said, it seems like every year, even though it's been 20 years, there's a new story that comes out that we learn of someone's experience from that day, and it's all just—it's—it's it's really, really moving stuff. Um, yeah, and what I—and then what I saw as a pastor during that season is that while you had this national tragedy going on, that event reflected some of the personal tragedies people were going on, going through in their own lives. You know, as they watched towers crumbling, they're literally looking at it and going, "That's an analogy of my life right now." So it, it, I think it, it just, it brings back, it brings back so many painful memories, both uh, nationally as well as personally. So uh, a, a tough week of reflection. And I, I thought that, I thought that a good way to get started this morning would be to go straight to communion, a time of remembrance uh, to, you know, we've been remembering a lot this week, but let's remember Jesus. Let's remember that he is, he is always faithful to us every step of the way. And, and we need that. So uh, your reflection may involve praying for somebody that, that you know went through that tragedy. Some of you do. You know, you know families that were impacted very directly or, or maybe just a more general prayer for our nation that we'd wake up and come back to God um, or, or just, again, connecting with Jesus through communion. So you go to the uh, tables in the front or in the back. We have gluten-free on each side of the platform as well as at the back. And and while we do that, we'll be listening to a song called Holy Ground, which I think is a great reflection on just those, those sacred spaces that God provides where we get uh, a more meaningful connection with him sometimes. God is everywhere, but sometimes there are those spaces, kind of like the one on the screen, where all those people have gotten baptized. Holy ground, sacred place. So let's go to communion. It's truly been a week, God. <clears throat> That for some, at least, um, their, their, their shoals, souls have just been shaken. Whether it is a, a strong wind 
that just wreaked havoc in their yard and house or the, the morgue national picture of being reminded once again of this uh, great day of tragedy and the way in which it changed our lives forever. We come here today to stand and sit in a, in a sacred space. We know that everywhere is sacred because you are everywhere, but there are places and spaces that we sense your, um, your presence more directly, places that it seems like the atmosphere is just a little thinner, where we are far more conscious of you and of your presence. And today we need that consciousness of you. We need to be reminded that you're always faithful to us. Circumstances of life don't determine your faithfulness. Your character determines your faithfulness. <clears throat> and so we turn to you, <clears throat> we turn to you this morning, the ever faithful God. And we thank you for providing us a space that we can come and engage with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, um, is something happening? Okay. You see, these are my notes. So let's do communion again. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, we got together with, uh, to talk about a question that I've been asked more in the past year than I have in all the 30 years I've been a pastor. Is this the end? Is this it? And when people ask that question, they're generally asking, do you think, do you think Jesus is about to come back? Is, is it time? Is, is he coming? Well, I, I was kind of excited about talking about that together as a group. And my plan was to do that as what I call a one and done. A one and done is let's have a sermon on that and move on to the next thing. And so, had the one done prepared and practiced the night before and realized, wow, there are two sermons here, not just one. So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll do that. And then when I got done on Sunday morning, I only did the introduction. And so now we were up to three. And, and then I realized there's some other stuff that we should cover too. So we've gone from a one and done to a September mini-series, all right? A mini-series where we're going we're gonna to be looking at this question. Do you think this is the end? Is this it? Is Jesus about to come back? What do you think? What do you think of what's happening in the world? I talked to you about my experiences uh, in terms of prophecy in my home church. Uh, my, my church was prophecy obsessed. It was the 70s. There was a lot going on, and that was just, it was the theme of the time. And there were people in my church who would take it to an extreme that's unhealthy, where they wanted to predict who the Antichrist was or what day Jesus was coming back. They had, a, they had it all mapped out. They had it all figured out, which led me over time to come to a, a simple seven-word summary of prophecy. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? That's it. A statement and a question. The statement, there is no doubt he will return. Those angels at his ascension said, you will see him come back the same way you've just seen him leave. He will return. That is an unquestionable fact of Scripture. And then the question is, how does that impact you? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? If he came today, are you ready? Have you come to a place in your spiritual journey that you've trusted in Christ as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life? Has that happened for you? Is the knowledge that he could come back at any moment forming the way you live? 
leading toward more holy living, a more holy lifestyle, wanting to please God, knowing that at any moment I could see Jesus. I believe that when we look at this simple approach, it does a few things. It honors imminence. We believe that the Bible teaches the imminent return of Jesus. That means it could happen at any moment. The only thing holding back Jesus from coming back is the Father saying, go get him. That's it. And we're just, we are waiting for the Father to say, even Jesus does not know the day or the hour of his return. Only the God the Father knows. And at some point he'll say, it's time. Let's go. It honors eminence. I think it also motivates holy living. If we know <coughs> that Jesus could come back at any moment, then we live out 1 John 2.28. My little children abide in him, continue in him, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident we were doing the right thing and unashamed we weren't doing the wrong thing. We may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. But there's a third thing this approach does. It does not dismiss the value of studying the end times. I don't throw that sentence out there just to say, that's it, move on. I really believe Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to dive into these things. We're told when we read the book of Revelation that there's a blessing for reading the book and trying to understand it. Jesus tells us to watch the signs of the times. Pretty soon it's going to be fall and you're going to know the signs. It'll get a little cooler. The leaves will start to turn and you'll know the signs are there. There are signs of the coming of Jesus and that it's closer than it's ever been. Now for some of you, you'd like to dive into these topics a little bit more deeply. There are a lot of books written on prophecy and a lot of them are worthless, okay? So don't just go buy a book because someone wrote it. I, I commend these ones to you. It's actually a series, been around for quite a while. And in these, they take different uh, prophetic issues like the rapture or just the understanding of the book of the revelation or, or the end times, uh, uh, the millennium. They take these things and they look at the different evangelical perspectives, whether, whether, the, whether the rapture is going to be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. They'll look at all three of those and they'll have a scholar present their position and then the other two scholars will say, here's the problem I see with your position. So I think it takes a really good, honest, intellectual approach to each of these and challenges you. And what I love about it is I think all of us with our position, we, we feel pretty confident with our position until somebody starts to pick at it. And then we go, huh, well, that's interesting. Huh, hadn't thought of that. Huh, what's that? I love that because I think what God did in the design of prophecy is he made sure that nobody could figure out the day or hour. We're all, I, I'm convinced that when it all comes down to it, we're going to be in heaven someday going, oh, that's the way it worked. Really? I never, I never imagined that's the way it was going to work. And God does this by design, and it's beautiful. For many years, uh, my, my friends, they had a quote, I'm sure you might have heard it before, when it comes to tribulation and the rapture, they'd say, pray for pre, prepare for post. You know, you, you want to, it, it would be great if God rescues us from the, from the tribulation, but if he doesn't, you better be ready. So I love that, that we get those different perspectives. So if you're into some reading, great way to go. So the question again, is this the end? Is this the end? I don't know, Jesus doesn't know. What I do know is that there are a lot of things lining up that make me go, hmm, I wonder. I really wonder. Just like you asking the question, I find myself saying, I wonder, is this it? 
So what we're going to do over the next three weeks, today I'd like to look at just some broad strokes of what's happening in the world that makes me wonder, is the coming of Jesus closer than it's ever been? Not just because of chronology, but because of the events, the signs that we see. And then next week, we'll get a little bit more specific. We'll look at some, we'll look at macro issues this week, next week, micro issues. And then on September 26th, I just kind of want to walk through a glossary of prophetic terms. Because for some of you, you know, you're sitting in a small group, you're sitting with a group of people, and they start, well, you know, I'm pre-millennial. And you're like, <laughs> okay. And someone else says, I'm post. And you go, well, I post too, Facebook. Uh, you know, so... <laughs> I think, I think it would be helpful to at least understand the terms so you can, when that conversation comes up, you can jump in and kind of go, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, so that's where we'll go. So on the broad scale, on the broad scale, when I, when I look at this and, and I find myself saying, Jesus, could you be coming really, really soon? Is this it? I ask the question, what's happening in the world? What are the signs of what's happening in the world? And there's a lot going on in one area in particular. And I would call that thought, thinking, mindset, mentality, what we do with truth. All of that. What's happening with truth, what's happening with thinking and mindset in our times is different than any other time in human history. There's stuff going on right now that's so different, so unique, not just, not just in Shanahan, not just in Illinois, not just in the United States, but in the world. There's something going on globally that's a movement that makes me wonder, is this it? So what's going on in the world? Well, first of all, I believe we're living out the reality of Romans chapter 1. If you've ever read Romans chapter 1, it's not a great story of what's going on in the world. It's a slide of depravity. It's a group of people who basically say, I don't want to do it God's way. And I, I'm not going to pretend that, that America has always been this amazing Christian nation and everybody's been a Christian. That's not true. But what is true is that the foundation of our country was Judeo-Christian principles. And somewhere about 50 years ago, a group of people said, we want nothing of it. We're going to transform this country away from that. They decided they wanted to push God, Bible, Christianity out of school, out of public life. It's funny because people say they, they wanted to get rid of, rid, of, rid of religion. They didn't get rid of religion. They replaced religion. They got rid of Christianity and replaced it with secular humanism that has a religion and a morality all its own. All the morality that's being taught today is a morality. It's a religion. It's just not a religion from God. There's been a replacement taking place. And so as you look at Romans chapter 1, I'll tell you what, you read this passage and you go, my goodness, that looks like and sounds like what I just watched on the news last night. So I want us to hear Romans 1 from verses 8 to 32. When we were going to do this sermon two weeks ago, uh, we had this on the Dwell app. And I love for you to listen to the Dwell app. It's a great way to take in Scripture. Kim happened to listen to that night on the, the message version that's found on the Dwell app. So for some of you, Romans 1 is familiar enough that you could actually like quote parts of it. I'd love for you to hear it a little differently. So we're going to have Ryan read this. Not, not Ryan the singer, 
by Ryan, the guy on the Dwell app. So Shelly's going to hit the button, and I'm going to have the words on the screen so you can hear the words, see the words, and take in Scripture. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate, as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God, who holds the whole world in his hands, for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless. The God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women. Men with men. All lust. No love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love godless and loveless wretches. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them. Mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers. Bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags, They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face. And they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. So part of what I love about Dwell is you can let the music continue and dwell on what you just read. Take some time to contemplate it. You read those words, and I don't know about you, I, I, I listen to that and I go, wow, that sounds a lot like the life we're living right now. A lot like the life we're living right now. This section of Scripture in the message, Eugene Peterson entitled it, Ignoring God Leads to a Downward Spiral. That's where we are. We've chosen to ignore God. We've chosen to eliminate God from all things. And in light of that, we are in a a moral downward spiral. I'm the oldest of four kids. And if you're an oldest or if you are the sibling of an oldest, you know that that we have one uh, beautiful defect. We loved being the parent. We, We loved stepping in, especially when we thought our parents were blowing it. When, when, when you weren't being punished badly enough, we'd suggest to our, your parents what should happen to you because they weren't doing it right. And, and our, our punishment was, was usually 
excessive, excessive force as opposed to our parents. So I got to admit, sometimes I play oldest brother with God. And I look at the world and I'm like, where, you own lightning bolts. When are you going to use them? Get at it. There's some punishment to be had. What are you waiting for? Of course, I have a dome of protection over me, but you know. As I grew as a parent, I started to realize that God is an incredibly wise parent. He doesn't always just fling lightning bolts from the sky. He has an approach that is frustrating, but it's effective. We saw the words in the passage of Scripture. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Fifty years ago, our society said, we don't want God. He said, let's see how that works out for you. Check that out. Let's see how that works out for you. I wonder how many of you think it's working. How many of you think what we're, what we're going through right now is working? This is the result of a society that says, we want to do it our way and we want to push God to the side. We want nothing. It's the, that scripture said, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. We're becoming fools. I mean, we're just insane. I could give, I could give such a long list this morning and it would be quite entertaining. Going, you know, going to this very week where we have this, this bartender philosopher turned politician who wants to refer to women as menstruating persons. I can't wait to redesign all of our registration forms to menstruating persons and non-menstruating persons. Are you kidding? Really? This is where we are. This is who we become. And there are people, Christians, who admire this. It's insanity. This is what happens when we push God away. We claim to be wise, yet we're becoming fools and looking like fools and acting like fools. The passage went on to say, therefore God gave them over. He says this three times. God gave them over. This is God saying, let's see how that works out for you. God gave them over to their sexual impurity. We wanted, we wanted to do it our way, not God's way. We didn't like his rules. We want to do what we want to do. Fine, try that out. God gave them over to their shameful lusts. And ultimately, it says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. So let's see how that works out for you. We are seeing on just a, a global scale what it looks like, not just to live life apart from God, but against God to say, we want nothing to do with your program. We're going to do it our way. And I think that's a big piece. As we, see, as we see the insanity, mental insanity, of just the past decade alone, with everything from, from gender to the climate cult, you go on and on and on. All of these things, what we're seeing is an unraveling, an unraveling of everything and anything that is godly. What in the world is happening? We're living out in real time, Romans chapter 1. What else is happening? Well, what we're learning is something that's always been true, but we're finally seeing it. I, I love this. There are people who live under the delusion that Walter Cronkite was objective. Walter Cronkite was as subjective as you and me. But he withheld his opinion. Because he knew, just like any other human being, he was not objective. The truth is, truth is objective, people are not. 
None of us is objective. We have to work at looking at the truth objectively and understanding what the truth has to say. What has happened over the past 10 years in particular, as we have to fill 24 hours of news, is that people have said, I'm not even going to feign objectivity anymore. I'm just going for it. I'm just going to let people know my opinion, my bias, and I'm collect whatever fact I need in order to reinforce what I have to say. I don't think this has been seen any more clearly than one of the great lines of the past year and a half. Follow the science. Follow the science as a way of saying, shut up. What they should say is, follow the science where I think it leads. Because everybody claims to be following the science, and we're all taking all these different roads. We're all all over the place. Here's the truth. Science is objective. People are not. Scripture is objective. People are not. And we need to recognize our lack of objectivity. But we live in an era where objectivity, even the pretense of objectivity, is completely out the window. So, sadly, we do the same with Scripture. We, we don't approach Scripture objective, objectively. We are not objective people. And we tend, then, to take the truth which is objective and warp it to what we desire. There, there are two terms that I want to share with you this morning. Exegesis and eisegesis. Some of you have heard of exegesis before. Exegesis is where we take a passage of Scripture and we just tear it apart and try to understand what it has to say. We're, just, we're trying to understand the Scripture for itself. We can do this with any form of truth. Science, it doesn't matter. We exegete it. We try to understand what's in there. Eisegesis is just the opposite. Eisegesis is when I have an opinion, I have a bias, I have, I know the way it works, and what do I do? I go Google to find a few facts that match what I have to say. Boom, well, look at this. Here's proof, and here's proof, and here's proof. I promise you, you could Google anything today and get somebody to support it. You can find an article to support literally anything. Exegesis versus eisegesis. Now, some of you have heard the word exegesis before and you think it has to do with Jesus. Nothing to do with Jesus. It's Jesus, not Jesus, okay? Exegesis. Exegesis. The word Jesus in, in Greek is basically to guide or to lead. That's it. It guides or leads us. And then that, and then that, that beginning of the word, ex or ice, ex means to guide out of something, Ice means to guide in or into something. So, if I'm going to do exegesis of Scripture, I'm going to do exegesis of science, I'm going to do exegesis of any form of truth, I take the truth and I allow it to show me the conclusion as I study it. I try to, I'm aware of my lack of objectivity and I try to understand the truth and see where it takes me. Eisegesis is just the opposite. We have our opinion, our bias, our understanding, and we say, I'm going to go find some facts to support my opinion. I'm going to go find something that says, that agrees with what I have to say. And so we have selective support of our opinions. But the Bible tells us that we're to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because they rightly handle the word of truth. We rightly handle the word of truth when we look at the truth and allow the truth to speak. 
instead of manipulating the truth to get the message across that we want to say. So it's vital for us not only to know the truth, but to know ourselves. You need to know your biases. You need to know your religious bias. You need to know your political bias. You need to know the biases that come simply from the family you grow up in. Everything about you, you bring a bag of biases to the table every time you look at the truth, and you need to know, yourself, know that about yourself so that you can interpret Scripture, interpret science, interpret things properly. We live in a world that said, I don't need to be objective, I just need to scream my opinion to the world. And social media has done a fine job getting everybody to believe that their opinion matters most. And so we scream our opinion in the world. What's going on in the world? Well, the third and final thing we're going to look at is that in an absence of morality, moral people will craft an immoral alternative. That's where we live today, folks. In an absence of morality, moral people will craft an immoral alternative. So, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1, 26-28, that we were created in the image of God. God is a moral being. He is a moral being. And so if we're created in the image of God, guess what? We're moral beings. Every one of us is a moral being. At the same time, God is a moral being, and God has a stated morality. He has a stated moral law found in Scripture. So we're all moral beings, and God gives us the privilege and opportunity of following his morality. Well, what happens for some people is they say, I don't want to follow God's morality. That doesn't mean that they cease being moral beings. They're still a moral being. They're just choosing to live immorally. So what we have going on in our world right now, which is really incredible, is a group of people who are saying, I reject God's morality, but because you're a moral being, you can't live void of morality. And so you create your own morality. You create your own truth. You create your own path. You decide to define what is right and wrong. And before you know it, we have a whole world full of people defining their own right and their own wrong. Walk through this with me. God is a moral being, and we are moral beings because God is a moral being. We're created in the image of God. God's ways are moral. That's morality. When we reject God's ways, we do not cease being moral beings. We don't. What we do is we fill our moral void with a replacement morality. And around us today, in just about every area, you see a replacement morality going on. It's what's intriguing about humans. They don't cease wanting morality. They just cease wanting God's morality. And so they create their own instead. You've got to wonder how long a world can continue to exist when everybody decides to self-style their morality. It looks a lot like what Paul was talking about at the end of that Romans passage, where the world just seems to start spinning out of control because everybody, just like in Noah's time, everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. 
They've decided what is right. They've decided what is wrong. And there is no common right or wrong. Instead, it is simply based on whatever I invent. Romans told us they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's where we are. Not just in America, but in the world. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We've given it up. It's not that we've ceased being moral, but we have ceased following God's morality, and we've chosen to craft our own. All of these things lead to disaster for us. All of these things lead to a point that you feel like any moment God's going to say, go get them, it's time. Go get them, it's time. I don't know if this is the moment or not, but I'll tell you what. When I look alone at what's happening to truth in our world and to morality in our world, it's a devastating time. It's a devastating time, not just for the world, but for the church. Because what's happening is many in the church are simply adopting what the world is saying. They're evolving, we say. They're evolving. They're becoming, they're becoming more like the world and less like God. I'd, I'd challenge you on just about any major social issue of our times to ask yourself, where were you on that 20 years ago? Where were you on that 10 years ago? And if you've changed, what happened? You say, I evolved? Well, did you evolve or did you drift? Did, did you evolve or did you move away from what God has to say? The church is the hope of the world, but I'll tell you what, the world has no hope if the church looks just like the world. God wants us to continue to engage the truth and present the truth. So what's our response? How should we react to all of this? First, we've got to study and soak up truth. You've got to spend time with your nose in the truth. You've got to spend time daily in Scripture. You've got to spend... We spend a lot of time in social media, a lot of time watching TV, a lot of time doing all these things that are, that are selling us a way of life. We've got to be soaking up the truth of God's Word. That is what's going to get us through. That's going to help us to be sane throughout all of this because I suspect what's happened for a lot of us, we're watching what's going on and we're asking, has the world gone crazy? Has the world gone nuts? What's happening here? And part of the reason you can even say that is because you know what the Bible has to say. You're soaking up truth. So you soak up truth. We've got to recognize our biases. I promise you, you have biases. I'm admitting today, I have biases. I do. And I know what they are, and I approach the truth knowing what they are, trying to understand what the truth has to say, not simply packing my arguments with some verses that match what I think. And then we need to align ourselves with the truth. When the truth bumps up against what we believe, and what we believe is different than the truth, we need to align with the truth. In every area, we need to align with the truth. Three other reactions or responses. We've really got to think about our kids. We are sending our kids out into a sewer every day and expecting them to remain clean. I mean, everything from the, 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 unmonitored, me, the unmonitored media that we just hand to our kids and say, yeah, here, here's the pad. I, 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 just get out of my face for an hour. Boom. And we let them watch. And we let them be formed by a world that is not forming them in anything that looks like godliness. You've literally got to watch every show and find out what is your kid being taught about gender, about morality, about everything. We can't be brain dead about this. We can't. 
We can't be brain dead about who we have influencing our kids all the time. Preschool, elementary school, college, whatever it may be, high school, we can't be brain dead and just say, please form this skull of mush into something beautiful. They're more than willing to form it into their image. We've got to know what's being taught. And we've got to challenge what's being taught. And for some, we may even be at a point of saying, we've got to take a different approach altogether to make sure that our kids are having a chance of following a godly path at all. But then beyond that, I think we need to engage the battle. And that's not some sort of let's sing onward Christian soldiers. That's not what I'm saying. I think as adults, we cannot just simply withdraw what's, from what's going on. We need Christian adults who enter the schools. We need Christian adults who enter public life. We need Christian adults who are there providing a beautiful impact on our world, who are being salt and light in a place that is dark. We need that desperately. And then finally, we need to encourage each other, just like Hebrews 10.25 says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And that encouragement comes through being together. You fulfilled the assignment today. We're together. We need this. We need to be able to look around a room and go, thank God there are at least a few other people that still believe what the Bible has to say. I'm not alone. We need to be reminded that we're not alone in this. Is this the end? I think it's the way that truth is being dealt with, what's happening with truth in our life. I find myself saying, boy, it can't be long. It can't be long. I sure hope it isn't long. Father God in heaven, we look forward to the day that this bride will get to go home to be with Jesus. Until then, help us to walk in truth and live in truth. No matter what the world may say, no matter what direction the world may be pointing, help us to always come home to the truth. We won't always be admired for that. But I'll tell you what, we'll be confident and unashamed when you show up. We'll know we fulfilled your desire in our lives. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the ways that we soak up truth and um, dwell on the truth is through song. Two songs that are just, uh, they're, they're amazing. Uh, the one, Promises. I, I'm, I'm less familiar with this song. I've heard our students do it a few times. And actually, the last time I heard it, I was sitting in church with Nate and Abilene, and their, their group did it, and complete with Cajon. So it's kind of a, a nice reflection of that morning. But I love the message of promises. Just, again, God is always faithful. He's always faithful to us. He gives us a chance to reflect his faithfulness. He's always faithful to us. Let's stand and sing. God's faithfulness is great, and it motivates our faithfulness. And one of the ways that we get to express our faithfulness to God is through baptism. And so this morning, um, it's re- I, I find this morning really cool, exceptionally cool, because uh, it seems like a lot of times when you, when you hit college, that's the point that, sadly for a lot of kids, that's when they start to drift. That's when they start to move away from what they've always known. And we have a pair of women this morning who are college age, who are not drifting, they're, they're chasing hard after God. 
And so this morning, uh, Julia Costa is going to be getting baptized today. Got, got to know her better at Green Lake, and just that was wonderful. I, I keep trying to figure out how this works. Everybody always used to know her as, as Bryson's girlfriend, and now, now I think Bryson's becoming known as Julia's boyfriend. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, Bryson, you've been demoted. And then Miranda. Miranda, today is the day you're going to get baptized. We're so excited for you. Very, very excited. So um, if, you would, if you would join us at the river, if you can, based on the time, and we're ending right on time, 11.50, 20 minutes from now, uh, we'll be in the water, okay? So if you can make it over, go ahead and get your kids. Please get your kids. Don't just leave them here. Get your kids. <laughs> join us over at the river 20 minutes from now uh, to celebrate these baptisms. We'll see you in a bit.